Hello, everybody, and welcome to more of a comment than a question. My name is Paul Connor, and joining me is Twitter Firebrand <laughs> Smriti Mehta. How are you, Smriti? Hey, Paul. Um, I'm good. You know, same as last week and the week before that, and the 16 weeks before that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, so we had a conversation a few weeks ago, and I, I, I mentioned that you know we were going to be launching our podcast soon yeah and i recommended that you get on twitter every day and yes. just start putting out hot takes every day and you've been doing it and i'm so proud so proud oh thank you i mean i don't think i've been doing it consciously because you said it but maybe on a subconscious level i was like yeah maybe i need to improve my twitter presence so, so. nothing's gone viral yet uh i think the stem versus non-stem one was probably the most engagement right that was, yeah, probably the most engagement. And I thought that was a great question. Like I've like I've kind of struggled with it myself where we've had trainings and they sort of split it into STEM and non-STEM. And I'm just like, where do I go? And I noticed that a lot of other psych folks just end up with non-STEM. And I'm like, but no, we are science. It says S, S stands for science. Okay, <laughs> we're so science, goddammit. <laughs> for context, uh, so you did a Twitter poll and was it, it the question was, is psychology STEM versus non-STEM? Yes. Uh, and what what were the results? Um, so it was, oh, it was like split, you know, three-fourths to like a quarter. So like 75% people thought it, it said STEM, 25% people said non-STEM, mm. although a few people commented and said that it's a bit of both. Yeah. And that's what's really frustrating. So I voted non-STEM. You voted, oh, really? Yeah. I don't. I don't consider us uh, like anything like physics or maths. Um, and, you know, just because we run some regressions, I don't think that qualifies us as being STEM. Um, okay, well, um, I think this podcast had a good life. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but just because, I mean, like they probably run a few regressions in gender studies, but I, I don't think that's STEM. I mean, uh, no, no, I don't think that's STEM either. But do you I just... The way I mean, the way STEM is taught just strikes me as being really different to the way psychology is taught. Um, not that that is the key variable that defines what STEM and non-STEM, but I just and I also just think if you asked somebody in maths or physics if they think psychology is STEM, they would just say no. Yeah, but that I mean, their opinion doesn't matter. Um, mm. eh, you know, I, but like I mean, okay, so what is a science, right? The question of what is a science is simply what is the what are the methods that you're using. It's not that we run regressions, right? It's that we build falsifiable hypotheses and then we test them, right? It's it's a method that we're using, which is sort of the same as, you know, most other sciences, right? We come up with a theory, um, we build some experiment, we do it, and then we sort of assess, you know, based on the data, whether what, we're th what we thought was tr is true or not. Um, mm. that, that makes sense of science, I think. I think you're making good points. I'm 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 a bit skeptical that we do establish falsifiable hypotheses. Yeah, uh, I but... mean the way we carried out, I think we can definitely maybe say that we don't do it as well. Mm. But we are a much newer science than physics or mathematics or mm. you know. That biology, excuse is right? getting old. I think. It, is it though? <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, especially when you consider it in light of the replication crisis, right? I think most mm. sciences have gone through something where you're sort of like challenging. Hey, what do we really know? Right. And then move forward from that. Um, hey, I still believe in psychology. I don't know about, yeah. As a science, yeah. Hmm. 
So and I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing this if I thought we weren't a science. Like what are you doing here, Paul? Hmm. Not sure. So this is a good, it's a good segue though to our topic today. Yes. Do you want to introduce it? Yeah. So you sent me this paper. Um, so we're going to discuss a paper by um, Nilus Jr., who's at Cornell, um, both in the communication and psychology department, um, and Jonathan Way. I don't know where Jonathan is. Well, um, it... University of Arkansas. University of okay. Arkansas, right. Great, yeah. So they just released this paper in Perspectives of Psychological Science called Communication, Communicating What We Know and What Isn't So, Science Communication and Psychology. So it's essentially like a perspective paper on how we should be communicating science um, and how we should be sort of more explicit about what we know and what we don't know and what we can say with certainty in light of all that has happened in the past decade um, when we're communicating science to the public. Um, so yeah, what did you, what did you, what made you want to, like, let's say, yeah, what, what made you want to choose this paper to talk about? Uh, well, I picked it before I read it. Uh, I, I saw the, the topic. I thought it was interesting. I saw it was getting um, a lot of buzz on Twitter uh, yeah. early in the week. And um, this is kind of our goal with this podcast is to discuss whatever is like, currently getting buzz and actually discussed this with neil because i invited him on the podcast and he said mm -hmm. uh, he actually said he would he's he we could do it but not until late fall mm -hmm. and i was like oh well no we're really trying to be current with the things because you know right. we are you know we have a lot less uh, knowledge and expertise and experience than mm -hmm. the other psychology podcasts but <laughs> what we can do is just yeah. be fast right like really like things. of yeah. the moment you know so and he made a good point which is like that's going to make it hard for you to get guests and i think that's totally mm. true um yeah but we might maybe we just get guests and then have them on and then discuss whatever's current with that guest yeah so it's not That'll really their area of expertise but they just can weigh in away anyway mm-hmm uh, yeah, so I thought it was an interesting topic, and I think that um, it's a really good concept for this paper because they do identify a – it's not a paradox, but they, it's a, I would call it a tension mm -hmm. um, between sort of these competing messages, one being, hey, the public pays for all this stuff. Right. Um, you, we are all sort of public servants uh, as scientists mm -hmm. uh, okay. if we're using public money to do our science. Therefore, it belongs to the public – we shouldn't just hide it away in journals that nobody mm -hmm. reads. Uh, we should communicate our knowledge and our findings to the public right. uh, on one hand. On the other hand, there's the replication crisis. There's the, which a lot of people seem to have started calling the credibility revolution and citing Samin Vizier. So like, whatever you want to call it, there's that thing where right. we now um, have come to well, at least a lot of us have come to this um, realization that uh, we've been producing knowledge in a flawed way. Like there's uh, real question marks about how robust our findings are as a field mm -hmm. and the things that we thought were quite uh, solid uh, findings uh, seem to be just falling apart one by one yeah. with uh, replication and efforts. So, so they ask this really pertinent question in this, uh, in this paper, which is like, well... If we have to give away our science, what are, what are we giving away? Like, how do we uh, reconcile these two messages? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so just like reading the abstract, um, what really stood out to me, like this dilemma of how are we going to give away psychology if we're unsure about what we know and what we have to give. And I'm like, what it, I'm not sure if they do a good job of addressing the question, not just like how do we communicate science, but if we're coming in with the goal of, hey, we want to do science that we want to share with people, shouldn't you also think about, oh, but we should do, like, there's this other tension of we should also try to do science that is going to help people, right? It's not just, oh, we should communicate it with people, but that we should do science that will actually mm-hmm. benefit people, right? Like, people won't be interested in just, you right, you found some random thing about some phenomena that nobody cares about. Mm. I mean, you can try to communicate it, you know, evenly and in a balanced way, but if it's not relevant to anybody's life, then who cares? Yeah. I thought that they did get at that a bit Mm. um, in their sort of what should we be communicating uh, part. So they divide up into they divide up the paper into sort of three main sections. Um, Who should be talking? Number Mm -hmm. one, uh, what should we be saying? And Mm -hmm. number two, and who should we be saying it to? Number three. Right. So. So Mike, so it's not like, oh, how we should be communicating, but what we should be studying should also be, is a question yeah. that I think is more relevant, personally. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, and I guess, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's slight, it's a slightly different topic. I mean, I, you could probably come at this paper and say, well, obviously, we should be studying things where the answers are going to be useful for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody's going to care about them or yeah. they're going to inform policy maybe, or, um, these are things society wants to know, right? I, right. you could almost say like, let's just take that as a given and then mm-hmm. talk about this tension between, how do you communicate? Yeah. Um, this, uh, call to communicate science more, but also this, um, sort of just very large caveat given to all our science by the replication crisis slash credibility revolution. And I mean, even let's assume that there was no credibility revolution, right? Let's, you know, rewind like 12 years. Mm. Even then, this this argument should have stood even then, right? Like, even if this was not a thing, even in sciences like, you know, biology, we should be... I mean, this remains a tension, not just for us, right? Even things like, um, let, like let's say, climate change or even... Um, Evolution, right? Like you've heard the argument people making, oh, but it's just a theory, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are never 100% certain about anything, Mm -hmm. right? And I think, especially with things like climate change, that really highlights how people don't... Like you do need to be careful as a scientist when you're communicating to let people know, hey, yeah, we're not completely sure. And who knows, right? Mm -hmm. You know, two years from now, some new technology might come and we might realize that all we thought was wrong, Mm -hmm. There's always that possibility in every science, right? So even if we're not, even if we weren't going through a crisis, I think this is, that's still a good, you know, um, that's still good advice. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. I mean, a lot of climate scientists would, um, I think I've heard a lot of climate scientists kind of say that they regret not communicating yeah. more uh, mm-hmm. and more early uh and i think that you know as a a climate scientist i mean obviously 
there's a difference between is and ought, right? Um, right. So if you're just doing this physical science, you can say things like, you know, if we don't get parts per million um, carbon dioxide mm-hmm. in the atmosphere back to 350, yeah. uh, this is our best guess at what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're at that point, you're not really more qualified than anybody else to say, well, therefore we should implement policy X or policy Y. Um, and you can really just, you know, you can, as a scientist, just talk about what you know and how you yeah. know it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's the same with social science, I think. Like um, there's, you know, there's facts and then there's kind of interpretations and value-laden interpretations of facts. And I think that there's no, there is no scientific finding that, automatically implies a particular Mm. policy response Um, because policy is where values come in right and and obviously yeah and they make the point in this paper that values inform the questions that we choose to ask Uh, and I definitely believe that but I Mm. also think that even though that is the case like you're obviously as a person you're not just like a robot you're being motivated by like some desire like to do something so something's motivating you to ask a certain question of course however there is still this difference between you know data like a sign like a fact or like a scientific finding and um a particular policy response to that or a particular reaction in the public so yeah i think like i would say as a scientist you should try to do your best to communicate what we know um, and what we don't know. And then, but, and then just as an individual, you can say, okay, well, taking off my scientist hat, here's my, here's my thoughts on what this means Mm. for what we should do in terms of policy. Um, But those things do need to sort of be kept separate. Separate. But I think, yeah, I think these guys would um, probably agree with that. Yeah. um, and they, you know, they definitely talked about um, we should be uh, communicating what, not just what we know, but how how we know what we know. Uh, we should be humble about what we know. Um, you know, e- even in terms of like understanding that um, you know, generally our knowledge is very very specialized. So they mm-hmm. they kind of talked about um, yes, yeah, if you have a large platform. Um, it may not be best for you to talk about COVID-19. There, there's probably people right. with a, a smaller platform who have relevant expertise who you mm-hmm. should be amplifying um, to talk about those kinds of things. So I was, yeah, I mean, I was really on board with, uh, I would say, like the first half of the paper, right? Because it, yeah. it was, well, okay. <laughs> but before, yeah, okay, yeah, finish your thought because I do, before you move on to what you didn't agree with, I want to mention mm-hmm. something else. Um, okay. So yeah, you were on board. Yeah, definitely on board with the first half of the paper, which was, um, yes, we should be communicating, but we should be much more, have a lot more humility about what we know and mm-hmm. what we don't know. And I actually think, I mean, this might turn into a longer thought than you wanted it to be, but I actually think that in today's world, one of the best things that we could do for society is to actually communicate a lot more humility regarding what we know and what we don't know. For example, the thing, the thing for better or worse that I've become an expert in, in grad school is implicit bias. And 
if I could communicate one thing to the public about implicit bias, it would actually be that we don't actually know very much about this thing because you have Hillary Clinton talking about it in presidential elections. You've got sort of um, Starbucks closing down all their stores to do an implicit bias training Mm -hmm. because police were called on two black men. And like, it's just become this catch all explanation in society for everything every negative experience a black person has with a mm-hmm. white person, um, uh, you know, that, that's an overstatement, but like it has become, it has gone so in the public imagination, it has gone so far beyond what we actually know about this thing Yeah. that I, mm-hmm. I honestly think the best thing, the, the thing that I would most like to communicate to people is just like, mm-hmm. you, we really need to cool your jets anytime you think, <laughs> You want to yeah. invoke implicit bias as an explanation for this or that, or because we just don't really understand how this thing works in the world, and our methods can't at the moment let us understand that. So I really yeah. liked the idea of humility, and I think that like there's just so much fucking certainty on all sides, <laughs> all sides of politics. You have the USA just becoming this intense partisan place because right. people are just so sure they know what's going on, like uh, and. I think the world would be a much better place if we could communicate a bit of the epistemological uncertainty that you get from really understanding the replication crisis um, and really understanding how little we actually know or even just how small psychological effects are, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and that, that's not what we tend to communicate to the public because I guess that's not what they want to hear for the most part. Um, but I think that that humility is super important and I want to see more people just communi- communicating humility. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you at all. I think humility is so important and we definitely... Oh, I, um, like... Oh, it, but, okay, I, I do think that we need to be humble as scientists... But I also worry that when you are coming, you know, to the arena saying, hey, we're kind of not sure, maybe this is what we know, this is what, and the other side is just coming Mm -hmm. in, hey, we are 100% sure, Mm -hmm. you know, global warming is not a thing. Mm -hmm. These scientists don't look at them, this is what they're saying. They don't even know if they're sure that this is an actual thing, right? Um, Like when you're met with that kind of confidence. Climate science is much stronger than implicit bias science. Come on. Like I don't think they're comparable. Yeah, yeah. But you you see what I mean, Mm. right? Like I just think Mm. that, you know, like you, that we, yeah. And I don't know how to square the circle. Like I honestly Mm. don't know what what the solution here is. But I also worry that. If some people start like and people who rightly obviously know more than other people who do have expertise to say things start, you know, giving these caveats and other people are just super confident in their, you know, wrong opinions. And you we know that people sort of, you know, especially in a place like America, right? Confidence always trumps expertise in my opinion. Yeah. Like I've you know, people just tend to believe people who say something confidently versus people who are a bit more balanced in their opinions mm. and i think that's a problem um yeah that that's just my that's my worry like i i don't disagree i definitely think we should be more humble and i think people should realize that you know life is not it's not black and white mm. you know science is not that easy mm. um and that it's okay to you know change your mind or to be open to 
different interpretations of the same idea. So I like I, I agreed completely, but at the same time, given just the world we live in at the moment, mm. I am just not sure how to do it in a way that doesn't sort of, you know, take the public's trust away from us even more than well, it already has. But I mean they sort of they make the argument in this paper that overconfidence will degrade public trust. You know, if, o- if you're wrong. Overhyping um non-replicable findings erodes public trust. Um I am not sure how strong the evidence base is for that. It's certainly plausible. Um I I haven't actually seen any really good evidence that the replication crisis has harmed trust in science in general. Um, I mean, how many people know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a good question. I mean, people know, like it, uh, it's spread at least beyond the ivory tower, I think, um, for sure. Yeah, I guess, you know, there was that whole, you know, Wozniak lab and food science. And so some some big stories have come out of just yeah. blatant. Um, new, new, in the New Yorker, there's been write-ups. There's been write-ups in major, like, yeah. so like, I would say like the, you know, the reading public, the sort of right. the college educated reading public is, is, is kind of aware. aware. Well, you know, some are, some aren't, but I, like, it's, it's definitely not just handful of academics that have been exposed to those ideas but yeah so uh, like um yeah i don't know i think um yeah i don't see how humility and communicating uncertainty would degrade people degrade your credibility uh in fact i think it would probably do the opposite i mean maybe it won't degrade your your credibility Mm. right but don't you think yeah, but people would be sort of... Actually, quick anecdote. Um, mm-hmm. So first paper I published at Berkeley um, was a psych science paper about the relationship between income inequality and racial bias. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wrote this paper and it was it was interesting because the conclusions were not... Um, the conclusions were somewhat ambiguous. Like we found a relationship, a very small statistic statistically significant but small relationship on some outcome measures but not on others and i remember like after the paper came out some of my co-authors strongly encouraged me to write like an op-ed about it Uh. and and i did and i really regret doing it because it took a long time because i just wasn't i'm not used to that kind of writing now uh it's very different than scientific writing um and so like i spent a bunch of time trying to write this thing uh-huh. And uh, sent it to a bunch of places and just got no um, no interest whatsoever. Um, and that could just be because it wasn't very good. Or, I mean, I I really didn't. I like I didn't. I, I couldn't bring myself to like write a confident, like make confident assertions about this thing because the results were ambiguous. So I, like I I wrote in this piece. I said like I don't think our results. Um, will provide that much comfort for people who are very against inequality or like opponents Mm -hmm. or advocates of income redistribution Um, because it just wasn't very clear in the data. Like even though there was um, a small relationship on some outcomes, it was very small. So it wasn't, 
Yeah, yeah, like it definitely, I with, could not with a straight face say that this is like strong evidence um, for a relationship between income inequality and racial bias and just no, nobody wanted this paper. Like, And I, I wonder if I had have been more just going beyond the data and strident and just like writing an uh, anti-inequality, income inequality screed. Whether, I don't know where you're going, but... And- yeah, that's the other thing, right? Like, like again, I think what you did was, you know, the better thing to do and the more honorable thing to do. But the incentive structure is set up, mm. not just in academia, but, you know, like I said, just life in general. Like, people want confidence. They want somebody mm. who sounds like they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Right? And even... Well, they want to... They want to... Yeah. They want to hear... Or they want to hear... They want to hear things want. that uh, reinforce... Right their worldview i think more sure than sure i mean that's true right but but that's 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 an issue for people who have worldviews that are not on one or the other side of an issue mm. right because then people don't want to hear your opinion they will either want to hear opinion yeah. who, right like <laughs> nobody <laughs> nobody wants you no uh, you're just like lost lost in this uh wonkish yeah. uh <laughs> data world yeah but it's yeah. like yeah so you know you have you know, publications, you know, in getting published in journals, like that requires you to make certain claims, at least as has in the past, right? I think things are changing for sure. Mm. But you did sort of in your discussion section needed to make some broad claim about what this means for the betterment of the world. Um, Same thing with like publication, publishing something that's non-scientific, like you were trying to do, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had to sort of come up with, we had to sort of frame it in such a way as like, yeah, this is quite ambiguous, but it may be important <laughs> if you think about it this way, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's, I mean, then you have to jump through all these, like, mental hoops to try to frame, you know, frame things in a way that people would want it. But, mm. you know, then are, is that the kind of communicating that this paper is talking about? Mm. I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, definitely. Oh, definitely. Like, are people writing op-eds based on... Their oh, research. No, no, I mean, is, sure. is that what they, they would advocate for people doing? Oh, well, I don't know. Like, uh, I think so. I mean, because I think I followed their their advice mostly. Yeah. You, know, yeah. Like I, you did, but, but the problem is then you didn't get published, right? Here's one thing I didn't do, though. Um, actually, was that the thought you wanted to get to? Because I, I might have developed yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that was, yeah, perfect. One thing I didn't do and that I may never have done and I'm not even sure how to do is so they advocate that we need to make clear in our communications how our positions or human biases have shaped the questions that we asked and the interpretations that we came to. Um, I wish I I felt that I didn't know what they meant by that and i don't know what that looks like and i like it could i mean you know how there's this throwaway thing at the end of every paper that like ah, oh, you know this might not generalize oh yeah like the other context or like right. there could be moderators or like mm-hmm. is this just this another throwaway thing of like oh you know like i am a white male so <laughs> therefore i might be looking at this in a completely biased way um i'm straight cisgender so uh, everybody should take that into account when they're evaluating my work because it, you know, like remember my identity groups at all times. Like, is that the kind of, I don't, yeah, I guess I don't, I, I definitely believe that 
our backgrounds shape our interests. Um, but I'm not sure that I'm not sure that we have to constantly have that as a caveat of our work because ultimately like I think as a scientist yeah like I have a you know particular interests that have been shaped by my background but um if we just sort of accept that as as given I don't I, I guess I don't know why we need to constantly be um talking about it I mean because yeah I, I don't know what it I guess this is kind of leading us into the the part of the paper that we maybe like struggled with like a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and so this is the who should be communicating. Or, oh, okay, well, let's do that first. Because like I was thinking this was more in the what should we be communicating mm. section. So um, the who should we, who should be communicating section was interesting. Uh but it started this pivot that they make in this paper. And um, they sort of like, I, I was very much on board with this call for humility. Um, mm-hmm. But I did feel that the rest of the paper sort of pivoted away from humility right. towards making a lot of assertions uh, mm-hmm. and sort of using like social science research to back up those assertions even though, you know, they already kind of talked about how the social science be, literature yeah. is, is kind of in question because of the credibility revolution. And the first, the first such one was, um, so they're talking about uh, eminence at one stage. Yeah. And they said mm-hmm. that um, uh, research suggests that um, eminent, eminence is not related to the replicability of research. Research, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which... I, that could be, I'm not sure there's strong evidence for that. So the, the study they use as a reference for that was an mm-hmm. odd choice. So it's this study by Bench and colleagues. But that study, all they did in that study was they looked at in the replication project, mm-hmm. was the eminence of the replicators related to ability to replicate the studies? Oh, so who is doing the replicating? Does their eminence predict how whether they, or not they succeed in doing the replication? Yeah, which is ah. a pretty weird reference to use to back up the claim that eminence yeah. is unrelated to the replicability of research, right? Yeah, no, that definitely is it's a really It's kind weird. of a non sequitur. This is why it, it took me a long time to get through this paper because I kept on like, they'd make sort of assertions and then put in a reference and I'd... I guess the experience with this bench paper just made me start to really question mm. whether the the references actually did actually establish what the assertion the made prior to the to the references. But yeah, yeah. definitely that. So like um, they, the bench paper, they found that more eminent replicators chose studies with greater original effect sizes, mm. and their their replications had greater effect sizes, but they they weren't they didn't replicate more often. So yeah, that 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 really has very little to do with whether um, the work of eminent psychologists replicates more, because we're just sort of talking in that bench paper about replicators. Right, and I mean the 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 argument against like oh we should not use eminence as a sort of you know like a determinant of who should be communicating. It's like well, 
then who should we like, <laughs> you know, I mean, they've reached eminence because they've sort of garnered some form of expertise on the matter. <sighs> yeah. Right. Well, like, mm. I, I don't understand. Like, yeah, we should we should obviously not, you know, take somebody's word for something just because they have, you know, they, you know, have a Stanford or Harvard or something after their name. But mm. At the same time, well, when like, it comes to podcasts, I don't believe in eminence at all. <laughs> I think people should just listen to equal, like yeah. crappy uh, grad students' podcasts. But no, like I but, tend to agree, and I think it's very, very popular to sort of um, like downplay any notion that eminence is uh, awarded meritocratically uh, mm-hmm. in academia, right? But I, right, right. I, I think that like it is possible to erroneously go too far in the other direction because like i you know i even though like i'm sure it's not a perfect correlation between Mm -hmm. eminence and the quality of your science i also don't believe that the correlation is zero no Uh, and it's a useful heuristic right like because you can't i can't go around reading everybody like whoever i'm reading mm -hmm. a statement from and go check their credentials and make sure that right like that's just not at some point you do have to just rely on the structures that are set up to be like, okay, maybe some people will get through to eminence who really don't deserve it. Mm. But at the same time, if, if a whole field is respecting somebody's as, as you know, an eminent person mm. scholar in their field, then, you know, I'm going to take their word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at least in their subject area. Yeah. Um, at least exactly. Yeah. N- not about anything else, but for, for that specific, whatever they you know yeah it's interesting i mean i don't know many eminent psychologists uh i mean Dacker is pretty eminent Dacker's is pretty eminent for sure um you know susan fisk i've i've met like i definitely yeah. i think her eminence is deserved um yeah i i guess yeah i just i've met albert bandora oh yeah oh my god yes He's like my, um, oh, this he's is, like my intellectual hero, and I was very excited to meet this him. Just I think name dropping. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I guess, yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. Um, but that was that's fine. I mean, like, I think the core point that they're making there, I do agree with, uh, because they're just they're just saying that just because somebody has achieved right. eminence, you know, they could have obtain that eminence through p-hacking they could you know they could be eminent but they are only really good on their thing and they're Mm -hmm. you know just because they're good on their thing doesn't mean they have special knowledge about another thing and i thought they made a good point about so you know psychological organizations uh and eminent psychologists you know rather than um talk on every topic themselves should be amplifying voices of people who are experts with the relevant um expertise um so i didn't yeah like I, i i was still pretty pretty on board uh, with the um, who should be talking stuff. Yeah, Yeah, I just thought it was slightly tautological. They're like, well, we cannot rely just on Mm. our most eminent and famous psychologists, but must rely on those with expertise on a particular topic. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, isn't... Yeah, how do you know who uh, has expertise on it? Right, if you don't even know them. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, if you're a non-expert, how are you? Yeah, good point. How are you supposed to find the person with the relevant expertise? Yeah. I, yeah, who knows? That, that's got to be. Why I... Yeah, you can't just listen to everybody talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess you're gonna. F- you could talk to people in the field, 
and they ask them who they think is eminent and then it just but that's still just this reputation game and they're probably just going to give you the same names yeah uh for the most part so yeah good point um so yeah that was my only issue with it i don't disagree that yeah more practitioners should say i don't know and don't Mm. talk about stuff they don't know about Mm. definitely very valid but at the same time yeah how do you know who's an expert if if they're not yeah yeah so then Eh. anyway let's move on so then the paper to me really um gets a bit more problematic right so then they mm -hmm. start talking about well what should we be communicating um and in this section i really felt like all the things that they had said about humility uh in um sort of the first part that you agreed with like thinking about what we know and what we don't know really sort of goes out out the window and there's all these um all these assertions made so like the first thing a couple of things i noticed was there's some really strong um causal inferences made so they they kind of claim that the uh and i guess this is plausible to me the um the anti-vaccine movement Mm -hmm. is a causal result of the one study linking Mm. vaccines to autism i see uh maybe but that's still that's still like a a causal inference that we don't have like you you like there's a correlation there was that study and then later there was this movement but this is not like a scientific claim um but it's being made quite strongly in this paper the one that i did sort of raise more of an eyebrow about was you know the uh, assertion that it was the few scientists climate scientists who've expressed skepticism of um Mm-hmm. man-made climate change have caused yeah. social opposition to uh, or have caused skepticism in the public about global warming i don't think that's mm-hmm. true at all like there yeah there are a handful of climate scientists um but i think in an alternate universe where those they don't exist and every single climate scientist is saying the same thing you still have the oil industry right like you still have enormous like social political economic yeah. forces who would be trying to do everything they can to get people right. to be skeptical of this stuff so like this this causal inference i was very skeptical of and it was just sort of yeah this paper just sort of moved into this pattern of making very strong assertions where i really felt that they were not practicing Taking what their they own advice yeah. preached about humility yeah. um and yeah so then they start talking about, well, we need to um, consider the people whose lives are adver- might be adversely impacted by our research. Um, and they start to talk about the Corey Clark paper in this context. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah. this is just, this is so spe- speculative, right? Like yeah. where, you know, it's a, it's a really non-scientific claim to to be to be certain that anybody's life would have been adversely impacted by that Corey Clark paper, paper. or yeah. you know like I just don't these causal links that that are being drawn now, um, I I don't think we have strong like I personally I don't think our research impacts many people's lives at all right yeah and, and I, I agree like as a social psychologist I mean maybe in the education field but yeah. I mean, like, so what do you think? Because that's, I mean, I'm just doing 
social cognition and i do see impacts that our field is having on society but i think they're slightly different to what um what these guys are talking about in this paper but what do you think in in terms of education research I mean, most people that are doing education research, and I personally think most people that are in education, teachers and principals and stuff, right, are in there to try to do better and try to do good by their students. So I think most research there is sort of motivated by a desire to just how do we make things better for students. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I'm not... Sure, I see that. Um, like, I hear what they're saying, but I, like, I, I just feel like the the kind of subset of at least psychological studies that this would apply to, where you really would have to be like, "Hey, is how is this going to negatively impact a subset mm. of the population?" That's a very. It seems like to me like it's a very small subset of mm. psychological research that is going to have like a direct negative impact on <sighs> yeah. public and the. But and the I also don't. To, yeah, I, I just feel that arguments get very unconvincing to me when people start making those arguments. Like, yeah. like, what do you think is like the best example of research that will have a negative impact on people in the world? All right, let's just go with the Corey Clark example because that's what they went with, right? So, like, yeah, I, I really like. So, I mean. I'm, I would never deny that you can tell a story where that Cory Clark paper has a negative impact on somebody in the world, right? But that story involves so many, like, so much speculation and assumptions and so many, like, bad actors coming along and using the research in exactly the way that you imagine them to and them, them being listened to by a bunch of other people. Like, it, it, just so yeah. many ducks have to line up <laughs> for that research to actually hurt right. any anybody that I... Yeah, I and, I, I and and here's the other thing. Forget that. Oh, forget that. Even if the research that you do might have a negative impact, that still doesn't sort of like negate the fact that you could have done research that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it inherently, but that somebody could use it in a way that to sort of put you know like f- frame it in a certain way or interpret it in a way that is exactly is going to hurt somebody right like i was thinking about this like think about um growth mindset literature right right? yes yes exactly yeah yeah somebody could come along and say well you know like we don't we don't need to put money into these inner city schools we just need to teach them growth mindset like this is like yeah and people do that all the time tell a story about any research right you're just imagining these like evil ogres that are going to come along and try to hurt a specific community (laughs) with research they could use anything and it has Uh, happened it's called like a false growth mindset where people teachers have started saying oh these students just don't have a growth mindset they're just not doing anything and they're just not working hard enough mm. and that is a problem right and but i but i don't think that the original intentions were like that and so yeah i, I don't think even if you did like perfect research in mm. a perfect world I, i'm sure somebody could still come in and spin it a different way yeah yeah um which is yeah i guess it goes back to the difference between is an ought and like a scientific yeah. finding doesn't yeah. necessarily imply mm-hmm. a specific policy um you know robert plowman yeah. was talking about this with sam harris right like right. genetics research you know, the, the the finding that there's genetic differences between kids and like how likely they are to um, 
obtain high levels of educational attainment mm-hmm. doesn't you know to to in a very right-wing interpretation that sort of means like oh well we shouldn't bother with the kids right. who, who have the bad genes right yeah. but in a very left-wing interpretation it means well we need to give extra resources <laughs> to the kids yeah. with, with with the bad genes right. or with the you can look lower at the same genetic thing. propensity yeah, yeah ex- exactly and i yeah so yeah i just this this section to me it just got very 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 like like this very uh ideological like yeah. like a really strong um advocacy for particular opinions and somewhat ironically to me these advocacies all being based on the social psych literature that you just told us we need to be like humble about right. um so another area so they make they make this claim this very plausible claim actually that like um uh the different races are socialized differently mm. to notice different things about the world right yeah. uh that's very plausible however you know the reference that they use for this was this study by Sylvia Perry where mm. um, she brought only white families in and mm. tested their IAT and then got the parents to t- talk to the kids about race and then tested them on the IAT again. So, again, it's just yeah. this weird non sequitur of like, how does that establish that there's yeah. racial differences in how people are being socialized and how does that establish a causal effect of those racial differences in terms of what people notice about the world? It was, yeah. So like, I, I just mm. saw them like not practicing what they preached in multiple places um, and making very strong assertions. And, and then like the next paragraph begins with, this is the reality or these are the realities that we're dealing with. And yeah, it's like, oh, that well, was that's... a really strong sentence. I was they... like, well, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and I think, yeah, I guess to step back a bit, there is, and this is like, and I was hoping not to talk about this this week. And I thought that like, yeah, we'll just choose a popular <laughs> paper, but like, there is like, there's a real double standard uh, in the social psych world uh, in terms of how we how we evaluate research that uh, is telling a story we like or is sort of telling telling a story that we agree with and fits the narrative that we believe about the world and mm-hmm. and research that doesn't right and I think yeah. that like if you're serious about the open science and if you're serious about the credibility revolution. <laughs> We can't just excuse certain fields of research from this critique simply because um, we see those fields of research as promoting views we agree with or as um, promoting values that we agree with, right? So, you know, it's very obvious that, okay, so say like a really racist guy starts comes to university and starts studying like group differences in IQ, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody can see why that person's bias would shape the conclusions that they come to. And everybody can see that that choice of topic is driven by their bias and it's driven by the story that they want to tell to the world and it's driven by, like, you know, particular changes they want to make to the world and stuff like that. Okay, we can all see that. However, if a person of color comes to university to study diversity and their research question is, 
you know, is diversity beneficial mm-hmm. <laughs> for science and stuff like yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, this person is also bringing their own <laughs> their own biases right. to the question and like wants the data to show a certain thing and stuff like that. But we like in 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 one, I just think we we're so inconsistent in how we sort of think about um think about these things and there's this weird thing in the open science community where we are we are trying to say like this this body of knowledge that we've developed over the last 20 30 years is really problematic and Mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of these findings are not robust and even things that we we were very very confident in now are seeming to not replicate and not be nearly as robust as we thought but then there's this sort of unwillingness to apply that like across the board. Uh, and we still sort of just talk about research about diversity and say, well, this is the reality. Um, yeah. and, and, and I just, I don't know, I guess like, like I told you before we started recording this podcast, I think I may get in trouble <laughs> for saying this and, and I, and I hope not. And I hope like if, if, if Neil and Jonathan listen to this, that, they could see this critique as coming in good faith, but I, I yeah. do think that like, yeah, like offering like, diversity of opinion. Yeah, um, I do think we <laughs> we really struggle to be objective when it comes to things that we deeply care about, and that's not that's not like all all that is is, and you know, Corey Clark has said this is like all all that is is just a recognition that we're all human, yeah, uh, and we all share the, the same kinds of. Um, kinds of right. biases uh, yeah yeah and and there's nothing wrong like i and this is what really bothers me with the whole now like now this whole implicit bias and you know we're all racist um notions like like when i was you know studying social psychology the first thing you you learn is that yeah people hold stereotypes people hold biases there's nothing wrong with that right we do need well, some mental heuristic well there's there's nothing wrong with that unless you're acting on them in a way that's you know yeah. depends on the consequences or, i would say what unless it, what depends on the consequences it depends on the mm-hmm. i guess but like you can't nobody can be like unbiased all no, the time no. on everything um, right and it's not the biases that are an issue it's how you're acting upon them that really makes a difference right so i think it's yeah. fine to be to acknowledge that as a scientist that yes i mm. you know the, the my my choice of what I want to study and how I might interpret my results is a function of who I am and all these other things. But I don't think that that should be a focus or even something that you need to highlight because that's true of everybody, Mm. right? That's true of everybody doing anything in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And like I was saying, like, I think uh, to a large extent, scientific training is about like training yourself to overcome those biases, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, you know, tra- training yourself to look at the world in a way that um, the impact of those biases is is reduced. Um, and, and and being open to criticism, right? And being right. open to having your views challenged. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I should say, I, I do, I actually think diversity is just good intrinsically. And like, just from a, a a perspective of justice, like if mm-hmm. there's people from underrepresented groups who want to do science, they should be able to do science. And if there uh, if there's people who are disadvantaged in no, I thought we were not a science, Paul. I thought. We, <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I wasn't talking about psychology. And if they want to do psychology, they should be able to do psychology, I guess. Uh, no, yeah, if they... And we should be doing things as a field that reduces unfair barriers for people right. to do science. But, like, I... And I, I you know, I, I'm on board with all that. Where, where I start to say, hmm, is when I'm asked to accept all these, like, claims about uh, diversity that, for example, like, you know that we think really, really differently because we're a different race. And there's, yeah. you know, ideas that and perspectives that you'll have that I could never have, right? Because mm-hmm. if I flip it, I actually, even though I think that definitely my experiences in my life shaped my interests and shaped my perspective and shaped the questions that I ask and how mm-hmm. I interpret things to a certain degree, I also would never say that you could never have the ideas that I have. Or right. you could never interpret things the way I interpret them because you're a female mm-hmm. and you grew up in India and like you know, you know what I mean. So like, right. I like when people say things like, "Well, diversity is really important," um, and studies, you know, like then they try to make all these claims about it, like because people bring different perspectives that you mm-hmm. white people would never have. It's like, well, I, yeah, I'm not sure I like where you're going with that, like because you know I don't. Even though people, yeah, like, so, yeah, we know that um, there's mean differences between groups on a lot of variables, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the vast majority of variables, there's far more within group variation than between group, right? So uh, take something like, I don't know, um, individualism versus collectivism. Okay, so we know uh, people from China are more collectivist mm-hmm. on average than people from the West. Right. However, there's a lot of overlap right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of within group variation, right? So like, I guess I don't buy the argument that because of that between group difference, there's certain uh, ideas that will only get raised in a lab meeting by somebody from China, right? Like, I guess I I don't necessarily buy that. It could be true, but I, I think it's sort of beside the point because diversity, as I said, is kind of an intrinsic good anyway. Um, and I just think that we, because we like diversity and we want more diversity, we really throw out all sort of humility and skepticism whenever it comes to any kind of scientific claim about diversity. Uh, and I feel that this paper in particular was quite guilty of that. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you with the idea that, yeah, not um, that that there's no reason to believe that you and I or somebody else who's Chinese, like like none of us could come up with the ideas that uh, like the rest of us could come up with. I totally agree. At the same time, and I think I also mentioned it before we started recording, that I, I do think that if the variable of interest is, you know, being Chinese or mm-hmm. being black, right? Like if those are things, then I think it makes sense to mm-hmm. make sure that there are people representing those groups if those things are in question. The other thing I would also say is that there are some situations, I think, where let's say you're trying to study something where whether or not your your background is like you come from an individualistic versus collectivistic culture could have an influence and you just mm-hmm. don't have somebody that comes from a collectivistic culture right mm-hmm. maybe you will just not pick up on that right that nobody will point out hey maybe people from a different culture will interpret it differently so i think that way there is some value to keeping that in mind I, but but i but i, I don't I, yeah, but it's it's very probabilistic, right? Because if I yeah, yeah, get a grad absolutely. student from China, it's only a probabilistic statement that they're going to yeah. be more 
collectivistic anyway like there's definitely i mean overlap you know me, like, I, i don't think we should be basing any decisions about who should and should not get involved in conversations based like i i think just talking about race and color of your skin i mean you know it just <laughs> doesn't it like i don't know finish that thought so you were almost like coming out against oh i'm not against diversity I just find the hyper focus on yeah. the color of people's skin. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah. Because nobody, I mean, nobody gets accepted into grad school just because of their color of their skin. Like, that's no. not, but definitely, um, I think what uh, uh, Lewis and, and Way are advocating for is, um, it kind of is uh, a focus on that in terms of like, um, they make a, they make a claim that we, we what did they say they said something about in order for us to understand our truth people need to hear from diverse voices um and pretty explicitly talking about racial diversity and stuff like that so they you know they kind of are saying like yeah you need, if you don't have diversity of if skin you color, want if we want to give psychology away then we must heed the advice of Maya Angelou to tell the truth about what we do oh no i don't think this is let me see if i can about. find this section okay time out so the quote that i was looking for it says to understand our truths about our science our audiences need to hear from a diverse scientific workforce that is more representative of the populations that exist around the world is it there's a pretty confusing sentence to me to understand our truths about our science our audiences need to hear from a diverse scientific workforce. Yeah, I'm not sure what they are trying to say. Like, I, and I mean, I, this kind of ties back to something else they were talking about um, earlier, which is that, you know, we mostly study this, like, very small subset of human population. Yeah. Right? We're, we're only studying these people in weird populations, and people who are doing the studying are only part of this small subset of the human population, and so we just need to expand that. Because if we are talking about universal truths in science, right, then I, mm-hmm. I guess from a if, if psychology is the science of humans, then I think that we do need to have more representative, both, you know, research subjects and researchers hmm. is would be my interpretation of it. To understand our truths about our science, our audiences need to hear from a diverse scientific workforce. Yeah. Huh. I... Yeah. Don't understand. That, that, that's a weird, this that's an odd phrasing. Sentence, though, I agree to understand. Right. Our... Like, so if I have done research and I, so I uh, need to publicize know... your research. <laughs> right. Right. Like, <laughs> because I, I mean, I, yeah, right. Like our truth about, yeah. It, I think what they're trying to say is more what you were saying. Like, if we want to establish universal truths, yeah and communicate those truths which is kind of what i'm getting kind of getting up before right like we we can't come up with universal truths we can't understand people from different groups only mm. people from that group can do research to actually understand mm. that group i yeah i mean i it could be true but i like i don't think we have that good evidence for it like we uh you know like the scientific orientation is just to sort of observe 
uh, try to understand, theorize, test theories. Um, mm-hmm. And I, like, I don't, mm, you, you like, think this you is such, be, right? like, it's such a popular opinion, right? That, like, we were talking about, like, the, um, the lecturer that I was I was working with, who was like, it's really important in statistics to remember that all this stuff mm. was come up with by white males, <laughs> and I don't actually, I'm not totally convinced that it is that important. Like I think, yeah, I think that it all could have been invented by um, women from Mongolia, right? Mm-hmm. And it just happens to be a feature of our world that it wasn't, and it's actually not that important. What their skin color or gender was what's more important is like you know is it useful does it does it does it work does it have merit uh, right yeah and, so, and and yeah and of course like yeah i think you and i would never deny that you know structures have existed that have stopped people from different you know mm. genders and you know racial backgrounds to mm. come into these spaces of course mm. right but i i think that doesn't mean that only some people, like I think what you're trying, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that mm. it's not that only some people should be able to study some kinds of things or like only some mm. people should be able to sort of talk about certain issues and not others. Mm. Yeah. Right? Like if if you wanted to study white males from Wangaratta, Victoria, Australia, I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't tell you not to, you know. <laughs> I right. would be very surprised if you did. And and this is like more of a valid point, right? Is like clearly our experiences shape our interests. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you bring in diversity, you're probably going to have people studying different things and like right. asking different questions and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, like definitely. And if that's if that's all they're trying to say, then yeah, like I, I, I agree. Um like I'm not, it's a hard thing to prove or disprove, right? Because if if you, like we're all trying to come up with novel ideas all the time, right? So mm-hmm. if you come up with a novel idea, uh, you know, I'm sure like these authors would say, aha, see, you see, <laughs> we, we brought in an Indian woman and she came up with this thing that none of you white dudes have ever come up with, right? However, right, maybe... It's because you're an Indian woman that you came up with the idea, but that's a very, very hard causal claim to prove, yeah. right? And I definitely, right. if I come up with something novel, I definitely am not going to say, ah, well, see, you could have never, <laughs> you never would have thought of this, pretty, because you're the wrong gender and you're the wrong race, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 yeah, like I think diversity is an intrinsic good and we, we don't, have to go beyond the data and we don't like we don't have to um you know bend over backwards like using social science to prove all these additional benefits like and it's like i mean this is what i more or less think about income inequality now right like there was this huge little cottage industry just trying to show oh income inequality is bad for mm-hmm. x and bad for y and stuff like that and i mean a lot of that research is pretty dodgy and was clearly made by people who were motivated to show that inequality was bad and i actually a former collaborator of mine told me flat out if i find evidence of inequality color correlating with something um good i just <gasps> i won't publish that mm-hmm. so like you know wow. but but inequality is just like you can just think it's bad because you 
think it's unfair right like you you don't have to come up with like all these stories oh it's actually hurting it's actually hurting all our health to have inequality like it's it's just sort of like and i think i just think about diversity in the same way like um i yeah i do think everybody studying the question of are there benefits of diversity mm-hmm. is highly motivated to find that there are benefits benefits of diversity right so like based on what i know about p-hacking and the replicability crisis i'm kind of skeptical of all that literature mm. but i don't that doesn't make me like anti-diversity i'm not pro, i'm pro-diversity mm. but i'm i'm also pro humility and pro open science and the credibility revolution and i think we should yeah not uh give particular science fields a pass just because they're good people doing good good work mm. quote unquote that's interesting. Do you think then the question of is diversity good, is that a question worth asking from a scientific perspective? Because Maybe, you're, I mean, because like, I mean, you, why? You don't like, disagree. what? You know, does well? Are we? Are we? What? Like, what if we found it wasn't good? Right? Like, what? You know, mm-hmm. what if the data showed that? Oh, actually, we're coming up with worse ideas after bringing in a more diverse crew. Like, you know what I mean? Like that would never get published, I'm sure. And like nobody would ever admit to finding that. But right. I mean, even if I mean, even if that was true, that's not a that's not a good argument for like not having any diversity, I diversity. don't think. Because like yeah, that's the demands I mean, of the justice. Only reason, the only reason I bring that up is because you inherently agree that diversity is good, but some people might not, right? Some people might say, we don't want diversity. We don't need diversity. It's not doing anything good, right? So if you have some tangible evidence to show people, right? Yeah, um, like, yeah. Hey, actually, and I think, yeah, like, but those people are not going to be convinced by it. Like, this is what I, you know, because people said the same thing about sunlight, inequality. right? right? If like, you're, if well, you're sort of... If we, it'll help Bernie Sanders, for example, if he can point to academic studies mm-hmm. uh, showing that inequality is harmful right. for the health of a society, mm-hmm. right? No, I don't actually think it does because I don't think uh, Bernie Sanders supporters or Bernie Sanders opponents are going to change their mind based on a social science study. And I don't think opponents of diversity would change their mind. And I don't think uh, advocates of income redistribution really care about, like, say, a study showed that inequality led to good things uh i don't think that's going to change anybody's mind about income redistribution like well, yeah and i if, guess if, if that's what we think then why are we reading this paper anyway <laughs> yeah right exactly and i like the and we got to this before because like i don't see our research as being that impactful in the world so i don't think mm-hmm. the stakes are as high as they're trying to make them out to be in this paper yeah. i yeah i don't Sorry. I mean, maybe, well, I, so I work in education, and so does Neil, I know, right? There mm. it does, I think, matter. There are certain policy implications of research, and I've seen research just being translated mm. into practice. And so there I would sort of say that, well, at least the work mm. I'm doing has value mm. and importance, Paul. I don't know about what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good segue, because, like, to me, like, and this connects back to what I was saying earlier about what I would communicate if I could have a soapbox, yes. is that uh-huh. we actually... We don't understand that much about implicit bias. I I think that like the social cognition field, which is what I'm in, Mm -hmm. uh, if anything, we have had the impact of giving people a uh, really inaccurate idea of how much 
things like race and gender matter in interpersonal experiences, right? Like, so we run these studies and we hold every other factor constant and we vary race and we find a non-zero effect. And then the message that we give to society is, oh, people make hiring decisions based on race, right? So like the original Bertrand and Mullenathan study, like, so they had these... Um, they had these uh, uh, resumes and every, mm-hmm. other th- every other thing is the same and then they changed the name and it was mm-hmm. like a um, 6% callback rate for the black resumes and a 9% callback rate from the white resumes, right? Mm-hmm. However, this gets communicated to the public and I think that like just based on this experiment, y- you have an effect size from the experiment but you've held constant all all sorts of sources of variation that won't be held constant in reality, right? So, like, your effect size of the impact of race is far inflated compared to mm-hmm. what it would be in society. And then yeah. we go – and we don't talk about effect size when we go to society. We just say, ah, oh, this research showed that, like, people don't hire people with black names. Mm-hmm. And then the public just, like – this is so easy for this research to get blown up into people's minds and, like, to convince people that, like – yeah, like race is this hugely important variable in, in terms of like whether you're getting a call back from um, this employer or not. And like you see, sort of see the same thing happening with gender. And so like if anything, I think the social cognition world, what we have done is just give people like a really wildly inaccurate perception of the importance of these variables in like everyday interactions and interpersonal and decision-making and, and stuff like that. And I think like, that's why I was saying like, I, like the, the incumbent thing to me is to say, okay, you know, so like based on our research, like, yeah, in some situations, these things, race and gender might matter. Like, however, um, you know, we should be a little bit more honest about like, yeah yeah the effect size is is actually not that not that great here and like it's it's definitely not every not every person shows this effect some people show the like do you know what do you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like it just like and i think that um yeah like that could be better for just just in terms of like i don't know like if you if you convince a whole group of in society that like this whole other group completely has it out for like completely biased against them in every interaction and like is constantly yeah. stereotyping them and, and stuff like that i think that can be harmful or yeah. two right yeah, that definitely. can be harmful to a society as well just you know i can well you know now i'm telling the story right the causal story but mm-hmm. i like to me this this causal story is kind of just as plausible to the stories we might tell about research like the cory clark paper being harmful i think so the responsibility on all of us i think is to be yeah just think just i don't know i think even researchers need to get better at understanding that their their little experiment doesn't actually tell them that much about the world do you know what i mean like and and when we when we communicate these non-zero these statistically significant non-zero effects like we really need to be humble about well yeah we don't know how important this is for people's lives for the world Yeah, I think that the sort of hyper like like the 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 amount of attention that one study gets for establishing any sort of truth about like that is just mm-hmm. unwarranted, I think. Uh, we we probably should not even like go out to the public unless we're doing meta-analyses, I think, right? Unless you've mm-hmm. taken a whole literature going well, through it and seeing, "Hey, what is then, what is the truth?" Yeah. 
I mean, meta-analyses are biased, right? I, by publication sure. bias. And, yeah, but you know, I mean, there's, way, there's ways now. I mean, now, I mean, this is where uh, we bring yeah, in, right? Like correction. preprints, right? Bias mm. correction, you kind of do all you can, file mm. drawers, you contact people, all this stuff, right? Peek-o-ing. I just mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I just mean, you know, single studies don't tell you anything. So writing, you know, mm. op-eds about single studies should just be banned, right? Here, like, <laughs> we, can't, we can't tell yeah. anything from a single study, right? Unless you put it in yeah, the context yeah. of everything else we really should not be communicating anything about unless you're raj chetty and you've analyzed (laughs) every single income tax return for like the last 10 years or something like that oh wow then i think like it's it's (laughs) okay i have not heard of that but that's i'll send you a link crazy yeah okay so (sighs) we're getting to the end of this the last section (laughs) of the paper was um to whom should we be communicating and i didn't have strong objections there. They basically just said you need to be aware of your audiences and aware that different audiences will respond differently mm-hmm. to different things. So that was that was pretty much the paper. The paper, um, yeah. And communications I, can take the public can take many form, and they include podcasters, so we're included. <laughs> yeah. Well, they did say that they wanted to start a field wide discussion. Nice. Yeah, and which is what this is, right? As they say, you don't need to be a star to engage in science communication. So we're we're doing it. Yeah. And we don't have eminence, but then that that doesn't mean anything. So (laughs) I I guess they'll be happy that we talked about it. And I mean, let's face it, they're probably never going to listen to this anyway. (laughs) That's true. I mean, I keep coming back to the fact that I, like, there's no way I would listen to a podcast made by undergrads. (laughs) And that's really what we are to these people. We're just this, like, training wheels babies <laughs> who you know it's like get a real job and then and then we'll talk then we'll talk then i'll take you seriously but no um yeah i guess they'll be happy that we're talking about it uh maybe not so happy that we picked holes yeah but to, i mean i to i totally agree with the general premise right that mm. communicating science with public is an important service yeah. and we should take it seriously and do it well and in a balanced way like i completely agree with that okay so that's that's it you have to go right it's uh it's 6 p.m mm-hmm. yeah um cool well yeah hopefully um we didn't say anything too controversial <laughs> and i don't think so and we're engaging with it one way or another this is sounds com- this is science communication so yeah and also i mean cancel culture doesn't actually exist apparently so (laughs) we don't have to worry about anything um yeah it should be fine cool all right so nice talking to you Um, same same here paul we'll talk next week about what we don't know we're a fast-moving podcast we (laughs) we strike and sink back into the night a la the commitments (laughs) but now you can reach us if you have any questions or comments you can reach us on twitter at more of comment or uh, more of a comment at gmail.com. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And we would be uh, very pleased and very surprised to hear from, hear from our listeners. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Email us, tweet us, comment, share it. Yeah. Uh, and, Send it um, to your mom. Yeah. And cool. subscribe, I guess, and rate and review yeah. us on iTunes. I don't know. <laughs> Something. All that stuff. All right, cool. <laughs> All right. See you, Paul. See ya.